This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. So when I'm talking about emotional management, I'm talking about developing skills. And I think it's so important as we move into this next year that we really focus on the emotional management skills that we can teach our children. That's an incredible way to immunize them against emotional difficulties. Talking about emotions, putting words to them, and giving your kids the ability to navigate their own emotional lives is really so key to their mental health. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about a family's anxiety and other big feelings. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author. I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a fluster clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to say. So today is part two of the episodes that we did on emotionally vaccinating your child, all of the skills and really the importance of paying attention to how do we get ahead of things. This is an episode, we're going to replay the highlights of what we talked about several months ago, because I think it bears repeating. I really want families to understand that being able to have conversations and being aware of where things get stuck and maybe where you need to do some work is just such an important thing to talk to your kids about and such an important thing to do. You know what I think of is that episode just recently where you talked about the woman who wrote you and said that she had a five-year-old and they've been putting all these emotions on a piece of paper into a jar. And you have a five-year-old now who is saying, I was nervous because something happened. I didn't know what to expect. That's the goal. That's the goal. The goal is that you have a five-year-old or a 15-year-old who is aware of their emotions and talking about them. And letting, letting somebody know what's going on and making those connections between the way you feel and the way you respond and what happens in your body. Yeah. So as you listen to this episode, do you have a five-year-old who could do that? Not many people do, but gosh, this mom started at four. Look what happened between four and five. Do you have a 15-year-old that can do this? Do you have a, a child who's a senior in high school and you're helping them get ready to go off to college or thinking about whether or not they're going to go into the military or go get a job? Do they have the ability to let other people know what they need, what's going on inside of them? Can they make connections between their emotional state and the way that they're moving through the world? That's really emotional management. That's what I'm talking about. I hope you all enjoyed the highlights of these past episodes. Personally, they were really powerful for me. They changed my game at home and what we talk about as a family. I love what you say. It's never too late. Start early, but it's never too late. And I think that even if you've got teenagers and you're looking around and you say, we don't really have this kind of emotional vocabulary, get started. 
And I will say this also, maybe you're not even thinking about this with your kids. Maybe you're thinking about this with yourself and your partner. Maybe you're listening to this and saying, we don't really do this very well as adults. It's also never too late to start talking about this and recognizing this in yourself because you're going to model it for your kids. Whatever the skills you have, whatever the strengths you're developing, talk about it. Let them know that you're working on it yourself. And that is incredibly powerful too. Say like, I'm really working on my awareness that I get really angry and I get so heated in the moment. I don't realize it so that I can kind of calm down. Own it, own it, own it, own it. Talk through it a little bit. You don't have to give a big narrative of every emotion that you feel and what you're working on, but look for opportunities to say to your kids, you know, I really lost my temper there and I'm sorry I'm working on that. That's a pattern that I've had for a long time and I want to show you something else. Simple as that. Two sentences, done. It is incredibly powerful when parents own their own patterns Sometimes it requires an apology. Sometimes it just requires an acknowledgement. But that is a powerful, powerful thing that parents can do for kids. Okay, guys, here's the thing. Last week, I talked about the anxiety vaccine because I'm all about prevention. And I want to talk more about that because I want to get specific. We need to do better talking to our kids about their feelings, about emotions, about anxiety. We need to get ahead of this thing. And as I listened to the episode last week, and you should too, by the way, I thought to myself, you know what, Robin and I have to talk about this more. I'm going to talk about the hows, how these conversations sound, the words that you can use, because it's not complicated. It just needs to be repeated. And when you say it's not complicated, you're just saying there are a lot of preventative methods that are really conversations parents can have with their kids. Yeah, it's not complicated. Like you don't have to know a ton about anxiety disorders. You don't have to understand the complexities of it. You know, one of the things that of the many things that drive me crazy about my profession is this language that we use that makes it sound inaccessible and sort of psychobabbly and like it's really hard and different than just being a normal human being, a normal parent with your normal child. How do we talk about these things? It's really so, so important that we get away from this idea that we have to protect our children from feeling difficult things, that we have to help eliminate strong emotions. And there are so many opportunities just in your day-to-day life to begin to have these conversations, to talk about things so that kids are better equipped. I talk a lot about emotional management, but I also talk a lot about kids being emotionally ill-equipped to handle things that life is going to throw at them. There's a reason why they're ill-equipped. Yeah. That's what I think we all have to really accept. They're all born emotionally ill-equipped, right? So you can, so, so you've got to start talking about it. And you and I have talked about this because we're farther ahead in terms of talking to kids about substance abuse and alcoholism and that kind of stuff because that conversation got started probably about 30 years ago with certain people bringing that into the forefront. Virtually every family has some history of substance abuse or depression or anxiety. 
we are very clear and have been very clear with our kids about the costs of substance abuse and the risks that they have in their in their own selves because we know it's in the family. I think we need to do the same thing with anxiety and depression in a very consistent and very, I don't want to say casual way, but sort of like, this is what we talk about. This is something that's really important for kids to know about and to learn about so that they can learn how to manage their moods, their emotions, their relationships. It just needs to be woven in on a very consistent, almost daily basis. I want to throw out a point because after last week's episode, a little thought that was needling me was that we have this parenting culture now that's clearly fostering anxiety and you are unpacking all the elements of that parenting culture for us. Mm -hmm. But there are so many parents who think being a good parent in air quotes is about what you're protecting your children from. Right. We have language that's not serving us. I don't want to discuss certain negative aspects of the pandemic. I don't want to discuss certain things about this. I don't want to share this, this, or this. And so people are wanting to create this very simple story for their children, and we're denying them the complexity of the world. Right. If we talk about how to avoid the emotional messiness of life. You're hovering over your child in a way that you are ensuring that they're having an easy emotional experience or a positive emotional experience. Right. Of course we want our kids to have positive emotional experiences. It's just that giving kids good emotional health isn't about eliminating the negative stuff because it's going to happen. So if you think of a concrete example, if there's, you know, and again, this comes up all the time, you've got a kid who has only gotten A's in school, and then they come up against a teacher or a subject or something that's really hard for them, and they're getting a C, and they have no way of getting through that. They have no way of tolerating that they've come up against something that's not going to give them the result that they're used to getting. And I think that's that's what we need to really talk about consistently with our kids. And, and it means allowing them to have bad experiences, not putting them into it on purpose. But there are schools I know that have put into place very strict policies about parents being able to lobby for the teacher that they want their child to get. Because they're so afraid that what if their child gets a teacher that isn't a good fit for them? That is a really good experience for a kid to have, to have a teacher that's not a good fit for you, coupled, of course, with experiences that you have a teacher that's a really good fit for you. That's the kind of thing that you think that you're stepping in and providing this wonderful benefit to your child, and it's going to backfire. It's absolutely going to backfire. It's sort of a wake-up call of what we might think of as really positive parenting that has a very active role. Mm-hmm. We have to take responsibility. Are any of these things preventing our children from developing essential skills for tolerating things that aren't fun, aren't easy, aren't rewarding in that traditional way? Learning opportunities abound. But, oh, you know, you always use the phrase elimination culture. Mm -hmm. Parents want to go in and sweep it all out so that kids don't do it. Right. And again, that's that makes perfect sense. Of course, we want to do that. But it just means that if we're looking at the rates of anxiety and depression in our young people now, we can't look at those numbers and say, yeah, we, we, we've got this thing figured out. We've got to look at those numbers and say, okay, 
Let's see how we can do better. And it was terrible before the pandemic, which you mentioned last time. Yep. It was terrible before the pandemic and it's worse now, but this is something I've been talking about for years. And it's something that a lot of people have been talking about. I'm actually sitting in my office and I'm looking at my bookcase and there is a book in front of me entitled The Prevention of Anxiety and Depression, Theory, Research, and Practice. That book was written, I think, probably 15 years ago. This isn't a new concept, but I think that the idea of preventing anxiety and depression has turned into preventing bad things from happening. Those are two very different things. Preventing something from happening is very different than saying we are going to prevent anxiety and depression. And that's, I think, where they've gotten tied up and sort of interwoven in a way that's not helpful. Is it progress that resilience seems to have been so trendy recently? Resilience, resilience. So that's definitely a good thing. Yeah. And the thing about resilience, so again, then it got co-opted. So resilience and grit are good words. And there are researchers that looked a lot at resilience and a lot at grit. Where it got sort of taken over is it got hijacked or co-opted by the achievement culture. So I'm going to create a resilient child so this child can get all A's, or I'm going to create a resilient child so this child can succeed. So resilience and grit take it outside of the achievement culture. And they're really talking about emotional resilience. They're really talking about handling failure and being able to talk yourself through difficult things, not I'm going to be able to power through five AP classes because I'm resilient, because I've got grit. If you are a mom who's trying to keep your calendar organized, keep your family's appointments where they need to be, then I'll tell you, the Skylight Calendar is a product that you ought to check out. You know how it is. Running a household can be pure chaos and it can be so stressful. This is why you need to check out the Skylight Calendar. It is going to make your life easier, mom. It really is. The Skylight Calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar and organizer for all your chores, groceries, to-do lists and a great way to manage appointments to make sure they never overlap and they're never missed. It helps keep busy households on track so families can get time back for moments that really matter. The Skylight Calendar is so easy to use and to set up. It's not going to frustrate you. You're going to be able to get it going within minutes. It syncs events from other family calendars, including Google, Apple, Outlook. You can add events directly using the touchscreen or with the free Skylight mobile app. Updates to linked calendars will automatically appear on the Skylight calendar at home. So no more worrying that you guys are going to forget something. No more cluttered paper calendars. It shows all family events together in one spot. The events are color-coded so you can easily see what everyone has going on each week. When the calendar's not in use, you can turn it into a digital picture frame. It's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love the Skylight calendar, you'll receive a full refund. They offer a 120-day money-back guarantee and free returns. You can't beat it. I think the feature that I love most is the collaborative way we can all add to the grocery list. And then when I'm ready to place an online order, whether I'm at home or my office, I have that list and there's no more items that we forget. So as a special time-limited offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to 
skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash flusterclucks. Mother's Day is coming right up, so order today to get 15% off your purchase at skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. Lumen is the world's first handheld metabolic coach. It's a device that measures your metabolism through your breath, and on the app, it lets you know if you are burning fat or carbs, and it gives you a tailored guidance to improve your nutrition, workouts, sleep, and even stress management. So how Lumen works is that you breathe into the Lumen device first thing in the morning, and you'll know what's going on with your metabolism, whether you're burning mostly fat or carbs. And then Lumen gives you a personalized nutrition plan for that day based on your measurements. You can also breathe into it before and after workouts and meals, so you know exactly what's going on in your body in real time. And Lumen will give you tips to keep you on top of your health game. I love the extra data that I'm getting about my health right now. Because for many women of my age, as we are going through a long chapter of hormone changes, Lumen's helping me use my body's data to make the best choices. So your metabolism is your body's engine. It's how your body turns the food you eat into the fuel that keeps you going. And because your metabolism is at the center of everything your body does, optimal metabolic health translates to a bunch of benefits, including easier weight management, improved energy levels, and better sleep, which is key. So Lumen gives you recommendations to improve your metabolic health. So what is metabolic flexibility and why should you care? Well, the key to metabolic health is something called metabolic flexibility. We love flexibility at Fluster Clucks, and that's where Lumen really shines. It refers to your body's ability to efficiently switch between using different fuel sources like carbs and fats, and there are preferred times to use each, and how well you can switch places you on the metabolic flexibility spectrum. So after getting to know you through your breath, Lumen gives you a metabolic flex score that you can track and improve upon. So if you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fluster to get $100 off Lumen. That's L-U-M-E-N-D-O-T-M-E. And use Fluster at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. So let's take an, a hypothetical family that you are seeing in your practice mm -hmm. who has a child who has anxiety. Mm -hmm. The parents and the child are now starting to seek help and try and manage. Yep. So, and the parents do a lot of eliminating. What kind of eliminating do you see that is pretty common for those parents to do and that they don't realize is something to unlearn. They will say things often in a way that lets the child know that the child can't handle something. So there's a lot of reassurance and a lot of saying phrases like, you know, if you need me, I'll be right here. Or, you know, I had a family where they had the baby monitor in their 12-year-old daughter's room the baby monitor in the 12-year-old daughter's room because the parents said, we never want her to feel as if we aren't right here, that we will always be here if she needs us. So when you give that message all the time, you're saying to your child, we don't trust that you can handle things alone. 
So the elimination is stepping in, making sure, you know, we, we've heard the, the phrase snowplow parent and helicopter parent, trying to get ahead of anything. So going and talking to a coach or talking to a teacher or talking to the drama teacher to let, the, let those adults know that their child is fragile. So they're saying, my child is fragile. I want to let you know this ahead of time because they cannot tolerate anything that is emotionally challenging. And when you look at the parents who do that, this is what I think is such a fascinating conundrum Mm -hmm. because those parents feel like what they're doing is completely out of love and they may not have an easy time understanding harm. I'm sorry that if that's maybe too strong of a word, but these are patterns that that are not helpful. Is it an easy thing for them to sort of understand this from your perspective, or do you feel like a lot have a real mental block accepting that this habit contributed to leading them there? I don't think that they have a mental block or an intellectual block. A lot of them know that they're doing it, and a lot of them can, you know, sort of say like, oh my gosh, I know, I know. It's actually more rare, uh, very rare actually, for me to have parents that sort of say like, well, I do believe that's the best thing for my child. They really say like, I know, I know, oh my gosh, right? Like I had a mom say to me recently, she said something to her child and I said, well, next time try try saying this ex- instead. And she said, oh, when you say it, it makes so much sense. So it's not like they're resisting that. I think actually that parents who do this, they do it from a place of love. Absolutely. No doubt about it. But they're also doing it from a place of fear. Mm-hmm. And it's the fear that gets in the way of them being able to do what they intellectually know they should do because they're afraid of harming their child. They're afraid of their child not feeling loved. They're afraid that they are going to do damage. People don't know how to do things. My mentor said when people don't do things, oftentimes it's because they don't know how to do things. They're not self-sabotaging. There's not this unconscious force at play, right? That's just not how I think parents and children operate. They just don't know how to do it. If, If you're talking to a child who has difficulty making friends, And so a parent might say, well, she'll start a new friendship and it'll be going along pretty well for a while. And then she does something that destroys the friendship. You know, somebody in my field might say, well, I think she sabotages the relationship. No, she just doesn't understand the rules. Mm -hmm. And so she called the friend. This just actually happened with one of my clients recently. She called the friend or texted the friend. The friend couldn't do what they wanted to do. And she proceeded to text the friend every 20 minutes for about four hours to find out if she was available to play. The friend who was getting the text was like, oh my gosh, that's not a good social skill. So when we're talking about parents who are doing this, it's out of love, it's out of fear, which is really powerful. And lots of times it's just about not having the language or the script or the skills or the recipe because nobody taught them how to do it. So if you don't have the skills in the recipe and you have a lot of fear and you love your child more than anything else in the world, it can be hard to interrupt those patterns. And just to clarify, you have obviously been able to raise your two boys with all of the tools that you have studied professionally. Yes. Does that mean that that eliminated your parenting fear? Uh, No, it did not uh, eliminate my parenting fear. In fact, I will tell you, my son just drove to North Carolina yesterday, and I was worried about that. And I resisted you know, I, I obviously I don't track him on his phone or anything like that. I don't do any of that. But at about 
I knew it would take about 15 hours for him to get there. He left at six in the morning. And so at about 8 p.m., I sent a little text that said, give your mumsy a thumbs up when you arrive. That's all I said. (laughs) That's what I said. I said, give your mumsy a thumbs up when you arrive. And at about 10 o'clock, I got a thumbs up emoji. You know, of course, I'm tempted to text more and say, how was the trip? How did it go? Did you hit any traffic? Blah, blah, blah. But I didn't. I just said, have. And then he gave me the thumbs up and I said, have fun. I love you. And he responded, thanks. I will. And that was the end of that. You know, I'm trying to, I I do practice what I preach, but it doesn't mean that what I'm- It's easy always. Yeah. It doesn't mean that the congregation inside of me is pushing against the preacher all the time. Oh, God, how is he? Where is he? It's hard. I consciously think about these things. I really do. And, you know, there's another parent involved in this who doesn't do this for a living. So there are a lot of conversations and- Actually, one of the advantages of the fact that he travels with me or used to travel with me and listen to me all the time is he sort of absorbed a lot of this stuff just by us talking about it and him being around me. But it's a lot of work to to consciously do this. Yeah. I'm lucky my husband listens to our podcast while he works out. So he oh. stays up to speed with it too. And it, It's we talk about every episode. I learn something. I hear it. I think of how we've made certain choices and how do we keep tweaking it. And I just think it's important to share like it's it's this isn't easy for anybody. No, even if you have this information, we had an experience this week. My daughter just completely blew off an after school lesson with one of her teachers. Yeah. She's in high school and I had to make a conscious choice. We have a very friendly relationship. But I still understand the boundary most of the time of I'm a mom and not a friend. Mm-hmm. And it was an opportunity for her to to own her huge mistake of not maintaining her own schedule. Mm-hmm. So she was she still felt badly because then she looked at her phone and the teacher had been sending her several texts. Are you there? Oh. And so I said, you got to call her. Like, I know she looked at me in terror because she was embarrassed and she didn't really mean to inflict, you know, discomfort with her teacher either. And I know and it was so painful. I channeled you. And I didn't get involved in a story. I simply said, you call her right now and you explain that you forgot. And then if the teacher was going to charge me, I was actually going to make my daughter pay me for that lesson Mm -hmm. to remind her, you have your own schedule. You knew you had a lesson. It's not really my fault at this point when you're 15. You got to remember your own lessons. Yeah. It turned out that she, she was honest with her teacher and the teacher, I think, then took pity on her and said, well, let's just make up for what we can do right now. I was ready to do something kind of unpopular with her to make sure that she took ownership of that. Yeah. And I immediately went to my husband and explained the situation and said, this is a teaching moment here. Are we on the same page? He was like, yep, we're on the same page. She has to take full accountability of this. But those are the kinds of things. There could be other parents who might have texted a lie to the teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, you have kids who blow off therapy. Oh, Yeah. I mean, Zoom calls, it's really easy to, they just hit end the meeting. Or I had one- Wait, they just end your meeting in the middle of a session? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes in the middle of a sentence. It was a really, it was sort of surprising. At first, I thought I was having a technical problem. And then I was like, oh, (laughs) he just did the Zoom equivalent of standing up, walking out of my office and slamming the door. But as you tell that story, here's the thing that sort of warms my therapist heart is that 
oftentimes a, a parent might have said, I'll text the teacher for you, or they might have started off by saying, you know what, you forgot, you need to take responsibility for it. And the, the child might have said, oh my God, mom, this is so humiliating. I cannot do this, right? It's so embarrassing. And then they might have said, all right, well, I'll, I'll do it for you this time. The moment that is so important in that is to say, I know this feels embarrassing. I know that you're humiliated. I know that you feel badly about this. I know that this is going to be an awkward conversation. And what you need to do right now is you need to have an awkward conversation and to own what you did. And it's not going to feel good. Let's not pretend that it is. And that's emotional management. And when we talk about this elimination culture, it's when we step in to make sure that our kids feel good all the time. The problem with that is that then everybody develops the expectation that you're supposed to feel good all the time. The thing that also was hard for me in that moment and what I was trying to do or when these difficult situations come up is don't editorialize it mm -hmm. and add a lot of my own layers. I was right. trying to be very factual. This happened do this, do this without like getting into it and adding a lot of extra words. Sometimes I think that we can walk ourselves into traps there and backpedal. I kept it factual because I didn't want it to go into shaming. Yeah, that's exactly what you needed to do to say, here are the facts of the situation. Here's what you need to do. And it's not going to feel good. Right. And you can throw some empathy in there. Like, I totally get it. When I forget things, I feel terrible too. You need to do this. But I talk a lot about having conversations with kids, but it's knowing that line between talking too much, lecturing. I love this picture that you're putting out there as you're telling this story of, I gave her the facts. She's super smart and super responsible. You know that this wasn't some huge pattern. Like she, she screwed up. She's going to feel the sting. You're going to let her feel the sting and you're going to tell her what needs to happen. Now, then somebody might say, somebody might be listening and saying, well, what if she said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Ah, you're the officer. I hate you, Bob. You're the worst parent ever. Blah, 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 blah. Right. And then you want to, you, you tend to escalate with them. That's when you keep it in that same way. I know that this feels bad. I know you feel awkward. And then you could even say, there are going to be many situations in life in which you are going to have difficult conversations. This is one of them. And you're right there. You're just normalizing the fact that conversations can be hard and awkward and you need to do it anyway. One of the incredibly important things to talk to kids about is how picture the thing that you've always wanted to learn and now picture that you're learning it from the person who's literally the best in the world at it. It's fantastic, and that's what you get with Masterclass. I recently listened to Matthew Walker's talk on sleep and the importance of consistency with sleep. I loved Bobby Brown's Masterclass, gave me all these tips about putting on makeup because, you know, I'm in front of a camera sometimes and I want to look good, and Bobby was such a big help. So this year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Like I actually put on makeup the way that Bobby Brown taught me how to put on makeup. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Masterclass offers over 180 instructors. So whether you want to master negotiation with Chris Voss, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe you want to learn how to just make your makeup look better with Bobby Brown or sleep better 
with Matthew Walker? With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. I loved it. There are over 200 classes to pick from. New classes are added every single month, like a class that talks about your gut health. So many interesting things to learn. So every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's absolutely no risk. Right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash fluster. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash fluster. Masterclass.com slash fluster. Robin and I travel a lot. And part of traveling is that you learn that you have to compromise, right? So maybe you're not going to get the best seat on the plane. Well, you know where you shouldn't compromise? You shouldn't compromise with your health care. When it comes to your health, there's no compromising, everybody. Don't go back to that one doctor who didn't really pay attention to you, who rushed you through your appointments. Check out ZocDoc. This is the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, insurance. So literally no compromises here. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. You don't have to wait. You don't have to be on hold with a receptionist. These doctors all have verified reviews from real patients. So the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is just between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. I have two young adult sons. They are always needing something, right? We've had broken elbows. We've had tonsils. We've had this. We've had that. If I were a young person, if I were a parent trying to help my young person find a doctor, this is what I would use. So Go to ZocDoc.com slash Fluster and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Fluster. ZocDoc.com slash Fluster. Do you set boundaries with people? How do you set boundaries? How do you not take on too much in this achievement culture? How do you say no to people? How do you step back from things and figure out what you want to do and what you don't want to do? Those boundary-setting conversations are often difficult and awkward. You know that. I know that. Saying to kids very frequently, I know this is going to be a difficult conversation or I know this is going to feel uncomfortable, you're going to do it anyway, is just an incredibly valuable thing for kids to hear from us all the time. What it's really about is you're helping them become articulate with their own emotional experience Mm -hmm. rather than try and limit it. Right. You're constantly giving them the message that A, it's normal. This is when, you know, when we talk about childhood fears, right? So it's very normal for kids to feel things, to be afraid of things when they are certain developmental stages. You know, they discover that people are going to die. They discover that people get sick. They watch a scary movie and they learn about zombies or vampires. All of those normal developmental fears are great opportunities to talk to kids about how they have a great imagination and or how it's hard when we learn about big things in life 
And how do we manage that? How do you have a conversation with a kid, with a child who learns that everybody dies, that it suddenly dawns on them, that their parents are going to die, that they're going to die, that their grandpa is going to die, that their dog is going to die? How do you have that conversation? You know, saying to a child, it's hard when you learn these big things, isn't it? And now that you're six or now that you're seven, you're beginning to understand these things. And when people die, we have all sorts of feelings about that, don't we? And you just keep having those conversations. Like we've talked about controlling and and preventing our children from experiencing negative emotions. But the other key component that you've talked about is for parents to be emotionally literate with their own emotions and model that for their kids. Yeah. And it occurred to me, let me ask you this, because I'm going to push you for a distinction Because one of the things you always talk about is just fake it till you make it and be vanilla ice cream. And what you mean by that is just be mellow and neutral. And yet there's also an important part to be able to say, you know, I'm grouchy. So I think I know the difference. But why don't you walk us through the difference between a parent sharing a healthy range of emotions and talking Mm -hmm. about them while still knowing when to grab onto something more neutral? So being vanilla ice cream is the really important skill to have when your child is escalating so that you don't get sucked into their emotional tornado. So say, you know, with your daughter, if she had come back at you that she wasn't going to call, you know, she wasn't going to call the teacher or or if she had tried to blame you, right? Well, it was your fault, mom. You should have blah, blah, blah. And then if you escalate with her. I have told you, young lady, blah, blah, blah. It was not my fault. Blah, blah, blah. That's where you want to be vanilla ice cream is when they're escalating. It's not your issue and you're not going to join into the maelstrom with them. On the other hand, as you said, there are times when we're going to have emotions and there are times when we're going to be grumpy or we're going to be irritable, where we're going to be sad, where we're going to be grieving. And you want to let your kids know that it's normal to experience those. And you want to just give them information about it. So if, you know, say there's a loss in the family and a parent is crying and the child comes across the parent and the parent is crying, sometimes parents feel like, oh my gosh, I need to like wipe my eyes and get myself together. You can say, you know what, I'm just feeling really sad because I'm I'm thinking about pop-up or I'm, I'm feeling really sad because I'm thinking about They had to put their dog to sleep or something like that. What you don't want to do in terms of emotional regulation is that you don't want to lose it with your emotions in front of your kids in a way that feels overwhelming and scary to them. If they're trying to get ready for school and you're lying on the living room floor wailing your heart out about something for 20 minutes and they're sort of standing there thinking, I got to get on a Zoom call. That's not helpful. So it's almost like there's three categories. There's one, be neutral in vanilla ice cream when your child is escalating and you need to be the grown up. Category two is being able to model for them feeling emotions and then also modeling for them emotional management because emotional management doesn't mean suppression and negation and hiding. So it's it's great if you're nervous about something, if you say, you know, gosh, I'm feeling anxious about this, you know, ooh, my tummy's feeling a little weird. How about you? And then the third category, which we don't want to go to, is when you are not capable of emotional management and you are just letting it rip and it's overwhelming for your children and maybe for other people around you because they are witnessing your inability to manage your emotions. That's scary. 
Does it happen every once in a while? Sure. But those would be the three categories that I would put it in. It does. You know, since the podcast started and you have dropped these very thoughtful nuggets, you had mentioned in another episode, there's a certain level of healthy arguing and conflict that children witness their parents do, Mm -hmm. that it's healthy for them to see a conflict and see its resolution. Yes. I think that my husband and I sort of always felt like keeping that separate from the kids. And to have that more thoughtful approach of letting them see a little bit of conflict, Mm -hmm. talking about it afterwards, letting them know we're grumpy or angry or sad in an, in an, in a, in a way that's neutral too. Cause I've always, I've always explained to my kids, even if you feel really, really angry, you can still powerfully convey that by simply saying, I'm really very angry. You don't have to punch a hole in the wall. Right. Yeah. And then when you also, if you, if you can argue or disagree in a way in front of your kids, and then they also see the resolution, you're showing them that there are rules of engagement for conflict. So there are rules that you have in the house that you don't, there's no name calling when you're angry, or there's no swearing at each other when you're angry. And there's certainly no physical abuse or throwing of things. When you're showing your kids how to disagree, even if the emotions are high, but again, the differentiation is not out of control. And so this brings us back, of course, to making sure that you're capable of your own emotional management because you can't demonstrate what you yourself don't know how to do. But kids should see a range of emotions. They should see their parents sad. They should see their parents frustrated. They should see their parents angry. They should see their parents anxious, not in that out of control way, but in a way that says to kids, it is a normal experience for human beings to feel things. It's a normal experience for you to be frustrated or grieving or angry and then show them how to manage it. And to say that out loud, oh my gosh, I am so angry right now. I think I told you the story about how we got the flat tire on the way to my mom's house one time. And I couldn't, it was the second flat tire that we had gotten in like a week. And I was like, oh, we pull over. And I'm like gripping the steering wheel. Like, I can't believe we got another flat tire. And I look in the rear view mirror and there are these two little like sunscreened, goggle-eyed kids like, ah. And I just said, oh, you guys, can you believe it? We have another flat tire. I'm feeling so frustrated right now. I am so frustrated, but you know what? I need to take a deep breath here because we got to figure out what to do next. This is before I had a cell phone and it was 95 degrees out. So I could feel myself just wanting to be like, ah, and then I see these little, these little eyeballs in the rear view mirror. I said what was going on. I expressed the fact that I couldn't believe we had gotten another flat tire. And then I said, and now we need to figure it out. So, and then one of them said, well, I think we should get out of the car because it's like 95 degrees and it's really hot in here. I said, I agree. Let's do it. And then it all worked out fine. The culture of emotions in a family, both what the children are allowed to experience and then how the parents are modeling their own experiences is probably the key foundation Mm -hmm. for a family to have positive mental health, right? Absolutely. Yep. The other thing too that is so important is and as your kids get older, is to talk to them about their moods and their thoughts and how they can learn about themselves. Because 
when kids start feeling a certain way, right, it can be overwhelming. And I talked about this in the the previous episode too, right? Parents worrying about their kids being anxious, or we know anxiety and depression are so connected because people start feeling depressed about being anxious. So we want to be able to say, your moods will come and go. All sorts of things influence our moods. And I want you to learn about how you work. I want you to learn about your moods. I want you to learn about how you manage them. I want you to learn about what works and what doesn't work. You know, I don't like the medical model of a lot of things. And it drives me crazy when people say depression is like diabetes. But I I can use that analogy right now because we, we, my son had a, a very close friend, still has this friend, who was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when he was a little boy. There were all sorts of things that he needed to learn in order to manage this, including his emotional responses because they were highly tied into his diabetes. But in order for him to be a functioning adult, he had to learn about himself. And I feel like we can say the same thing about our emotional literacy, our emotional awareness, our moods, our patterns, teaching kids and saying very directly to them, I know you're in a bad mood, And part of what you're learning right now is how do you manage the way you feel on the inside based on perhaps what's going on on the outside? How do we help you get through this? Not eliminate it, but how do we normalize it and teach you how to manage your moods? So, so critical for kids. If you have a child that has a difficult time talking about emotions or you bring it up and they sort of look at you like, what are you talking about? I use animals all the time. So how do we know when a dog is angry? How do we know when a dog is happy? How do we know when a dog wants to play? How do we know when we should step back? Because that gives them the practice of observing what's going on with other people. And the other thing too, that's a really great thing to talk about is how sometimes do we mistakenly interpret things. So if somebody is angry and what a great thing it is to say, are you angry about something? Because then somebody can say, no, you're misinterpreting or I'm not frustrated. I'm just really absorbed in what I'm doing, which is something that in my family, we talk about a lot. How do we know what's going on in somebody else's head if we don't ask? And that's something that we've we've been doing a lot of the four of us because we 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 need to pay attention to that. Are you feeling frustrated by this or you look irritated or what's going on with you? They're not always thrilled about me asking. A lot of people talk about having a therapist for a parent in a not very positive way, just like even in movies and TV and people that I talk about, they're like, oh, my dad was a psychiatrist or, oh, my mom was a therapist. And even I, like, if I'm supervising somebody, a therapist, and they're working with a client, and they're like, also, you should know the mom's a therapist. And we go like, oh, God. I actually, and this may be a huge blind spot of mine, so I feel like I'm not an annoying mom as a therapist, but I very well could be. I'll have to ask my kids about that and get back to you. That was a dangerous comment. (laughs) You preface with blind spot, but it's so funny. Would any therapist say, I am an annoying therapist? Well, that's what I I guess I don't know. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Like, do I not know that? And I think I've even asked my kids. Yeah, we all like to think of ourselves as the exception to the rule, right? Sure, sure. Every other therapist, mom or dad, must be so annoying, but I don't do that. So I'll have to follow up on that. I try not to be therapist-y, and I think just in my style as a person, I'm not like, oh, so tell me how you feel, right? I don't think I'm like that. So join the Facebook group so that you can ask Lynn your question on an upcoming episode. And thanks for joining us for another episode of Flusterclucks.
Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.